Each generation has a novel. For teenagers today, it might be The Hunger Games. For the one before, Harry Potter. It's the book that ushered students into reading when nothing else would. For those of us who grew up in the 80s, that book was The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Made into an iconic movie by Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the very young Tom Cruise, Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio, and C. Thomas Howell as Pony Boy. The Outsiders holds a consistent place on students' required reading lists, including that of Gary Malone, 8th grade English teacher at Junior High School 189 in Flushing, New York. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with FFT fellow Gary Malone, who designed a fellowship to experience locations in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that Hinton and Coppola brought to life in The Outsiders. Along the way, he was interviewed by the New York Daily News, attended the grand opening of The Outsiders Museum, met author S.E. Hinton herself, and established a collaborative writing initiative called the Stay Gold Project to inspire students' creation of their own realistic fiction pieces based on their communities. But before we start, can you tell me how I I try to start these conversations with our fellows, just hearing about how you got into teaching? Were you, did you always know you wanted to be a teacher or? If you would have asked me when I was like, you know, 18 or 21, you know, if I wanted to be a teacher, it probably wouldn't even have been on my, like, uh, on my radar. Like, you know, I, I, um, I graduated high school, you know, 17 years old, like, like anybody else. And, um, you know, when I was in like, sophomore, junior year, my thought was, you know, I'll go to college, but I didn't really have like a set idea of what I wanted to do. You know, I, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So it wasn't like something that I don't want to say it wasn't expected, but it wasn't something where like, you know, you have to do this, you have to go to college. So, you know, I worked, you know, I worked um, part-time jobs and stuff all, all through high school. And I was working and making enough money where when you're 17 and you can afford to like get a car and, and do that kind of thing, you feel like you're, you're living well enough. So I was working, um, you know, even, even during my last two years of high school, like um, my dad, my dad was a custodian in a, in a private school and he got my brother and I kind of like part-time jobs there. So we were doing, you know, we were like working as like high school custodians when we were in high school. So I would get out of school. I went to, you know, high school, Flushing High School, and we would take the bus over to Jackson Heights and I we would work my evenings there. Again, I wasn't making a lot of money, but most of my friends who worked were making minimum wage and working at McDonald's or something like that. And I was making considerably more than that for like a 17 year old. So I felt like I'm making enough money. I can buy a car. I can do this. So when it came time, my senior year, I didn't really, I know I didn't really push towards college. And so I graduated high school and I, and I didn't go to college right away. I ended up getting a job uh, with American airlines. So I worked for American airlines for about four years and I was, um, at the time I left, I was, you know, basically loading planes, you know, the U S postal truck would come up four 30 in the morning and they'd throw the mail down the conveyor belt. And I'd throw it on to, you know, flight to Chicago, flight to Miami, whatever it is. And the airlines then had these big cutbacks and I didn't lose my job, but I went from full-time to part-time. And, you know, I think I was 21, maybe 22. And I, and I was still at the same time was also working at the school. So I was fine financially. It wasn't like cutting to part-time didn't really hurt me, but I saw these guys who were like in their thirties and forties who had families 
that were now like, Hey, this guy, you know, this was his full-time job and now he doesn't have full-time salary. And I thought to myself, like, I don't want to be in that situation, you know, four years later when the next, you know, contract comes up with the, uh, with, with the airline union, I don't want to be in the situation where now I'm in my late twenties and, and, you know, I don't have anything to do. So, you know, then I just decided I was going to, I was going to, going to go to college. Um, so I started off, you know, I started off, I just went to like Nassau community college and I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was finding myself taking a lot of English classes. Cause that was always my thing. I always liked to write and, you know, English was like my, one of my favorite subjects. And at first I thought maybe I'd go and, and go into like journalism. That was my first thought. And it was just like a conversation with one of my friends, you know, we was talking and he's like, Oh, why don't you go like do teaching? He's like, you know, that would be, and I kind of gave that some thought and that's just sort of where it went. I majored in English and, and, you know, did my minor in secondary education. And, you know, so I was, I was about five years behind, like I didn't start college until I was 22. So um, I was about five years behind the, the curve, but I think if I would have went to college right out of high school, I probably wouldn't have ended up on the path where I am. So, you know, I guess everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And how long have you been teaching, Gary? I've been teaching. This is my, I'll start my 20th year, technically in January. Always so middle school? Uh, yeah, I've been in the same school the whole time. Um, I teach, I've been teaching eighth grade out of the, out of the, say the 19, 20 years I've been there. I've been teaching eighth grade all, but maybe like one or two years. Okay. So as a preface to talking about your fellowship, did you read, I guess we all read the outsiders in middle school. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough. I, I did not read the outsiders in middle school. I actually didn't read the outsiders until I became a middle school teacher. I was always a big fan of the movie, you know, like I think I saw the movie when I was like, I mean, it came out, I think it was 83. So I guess I'd be like 10 years old. So I probably started a few years later when it came on TV. So maybe I was like 12 or 13, like that middle school age. And I saw the movie and the movie, I guess, always thought was cool. Like Matt Dillon's character, Dallas Winston was like the coolest guy in the world, you know. And then when I started teaching, um, I ended up starting like uh, middle of the year. There was a teacher at my school at, at 189 who retired sort of like unexpectedly. And they had this opening and I took the opening. One of the first things I had to do was teach the outsiders. Like that's where they were on the curriculum. That was the first time I read the book. You know, I'd never read the book before that. So yeah, interestingly enough, I did not read the book. I didn't read it until I was a teacher. So at what point did you decide or did you conceive of this idea of creating a fellowship around the outsiders? I wanted to do something that was based in what I actually do in my classroom. And the outsiders was, you know, like, I guess, first and foremost, it's, it's my favorite thing to teach. It's, it's the thing the, the kids always like the best. It's always sort of like the highlight of the year. And I've been doing it for so long and enjoying it. I felt like there's so many, you know, different so many different things you can do through that novel, so many different things you can teach, so many different, um, you know, activities the kids can do. I wanted to come up with some way that I could use the outsiders as the focal point of a fellowship. And I guess it was, I think it was around 2016 when, um, you know, Danny Boy uh, from House of Pain, Danny Boy O'Connor had, had bought the outsiders house. Danny was um, obviously a big fan of, of the movie first, because he's another one who I found out afterwards had not read the book until long after, but a big fan of the movie. And he ended up, you know, I guess on tour in Tulsa, he went around, he saw the house, he saw all this stuff and the house was for sale. And eventually he bought the house and, uh, and turned it into the museum. I'd seen that on social media, you know, I was a House of Pain fan and, you know, I didn't know Danny personally, but when I saw this post, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Like House of Pain and The Outsiders, like two things that I'm fans of. And like, so I remember just thinking that was cool and thinking if I ever get to Tulsa, you know, I'll definitely try to check out the house. 
So when I started coming up with the ideas for the fellowship in 2019, I said, let me kind of look back into that because I hadn't really totally knew where it was at that point in terms of like the progress. So initially what I had done is I reached out to um, uh, Jimmy Trammell, who is a writer for Tulsa World. And I told him, I said, look, I'm a teacher from New York and I'm, I'm writing this fellowship. And, you know, you seem to know a lot about the house and all the other stuff. So any, I said, any, anything you could, any advice you could offer me. And he emailed me back like right away. And he said, you know, you know, if you come out, I'll definitely, I'll definitely help you out. That sort of like kind of got the ball rolling on that. So through the Outsiders House Facebook page, I sent a message there. The same message I had sent to, to Jimmy. A very long message. I'm a teacher. This is my plan, blah, blah, blah. Two seconds after I sent a message, I get a message back. And it just said, all it said was Met fan or Yankee fan. And, um, and that was from, from Danny. Danny's a Yankee fan. I'm a Met fan, right? From Queens, always a Met fan. So he sent that back. Yeah, Met fan, Yankee fan, like, you know, just kidding. And then he said, you know, I'll, you know I'll, if you come out, I'll show you around. I'm definitely not, I like the idea. So, um, you know, I, I had reached out to him, you know, through Facebook, or at least through the museum page. I didn't even know it would directly be him but it turned out it was. So uh, I explained his, you know, my idea to him, you know, I, I want to come out to Tulsa and sort of explore, you know, the whole setting of the book and the area that inspired Essie Hinton to write it uh, with, you know, the goal is for my kids, you know, my kids in, in Flushing Queens to sort of write their own stories that are based on their own realities. You know, Essie Hinton, it's, it's not a true story, but it's, it's very much realistic fiction. You know, it started off as she wrote a, stort, a short story about a kid who gets jumped. And it was some, because it was something that happened to someone she knew. And then that ended up, you know, developing into the to the novel. And I wanted my kids to sort of do the same thing. Like they're obviously in very different worlds. You know, these are my, my kids are mostly immigrants and first first generation Americans. They're not going to drive in theaters or going to rodeos and you know listening to Elvis. But that being a teenager theme that's there, the idea of trying to be an individual, but also trying to fit into a group is something that I guess doesn't go away. So it's something that my students always connected to. So I knew it was something that would probably work well. You know, that was sort of the centerpiece of my fellowship to have my kids create, you know, their own stories sort of inspired by the outsiders because Essie Hinton, again, writing it as a teenager makes it real to them. Like this isn't just, I mean, you might obviously now you think of Essie Hinton as this, this very successful author, but when she wrote that story, she was just a high school kid, you know? So I think um, her story, you know, and not even meeting her story in The Outsiders, but her personal story and someone who was just a kid who, who wrote this story that ended up, you know, 50 some odd years later was still talking about it, um, is inspirational and something that I thought I could use as, as sort of like the vehicle to start my own writing program with my kids. Yeah. So fast forward, and I see pictures of you from your post-fellowship reporting on a tour bus with C. Thomas Howell and meeting Essie Hinton and- yeah. So yes. kind of fill in the gaps between. Well, that was, that was actually, that was after the fellowship itself. So when I made contact with Danny, it was probably around like this time of the year in 2019. Like I was preparing to write it and starting putting it together. And at the time the museum wasn't open yet, but it was supposed to open, I think early 2019. So I figured by the time I get there in the summer, it'll be up and running. So the way it worked out, I ended up going July 3rd to July 9th. And the museum was still not open to the public. Uh, so I arrived on July 3rd and uh, the following day, the 4th of July, uh, we met Danny at the house, my wife and my kids and I, and he gave us just like a personal guided tour of the house. 
And I mean, he had so much, I mean, the stuff, it's, it's incredible. The collection of, of all this memorabilia that's there from like, from the movie and, and from the book, right? Because movie obvious, not to say obvious, but things from the movie, like, like wardrobe and, and, and that kind of thing, or like, you know, props, things that were used in the movie. But then um, as far as the novel goes, like all these different editions of the book, like from, from other, from all these different countries and written in different languages and, and um just to see all this stuff within that house that it's very recognizable from, from the film. If you've seen the film, especially if you've seen it as many, many times as I did, getting the tour was, was just, was, was just, you know, very cool, you know, like a personal tour, just the four of us in the house. He kind of pointed me in literally like pointed me in the direction of like right up the block to the left was where they filmed the rumble scene. And just beyond that is Crutchfield park, which is where, um, you know, where Ponyboy is getting drowned in the fountain and, you know, all, and Bob gets stabbed. So all of these locations, you know, um, we ended up going to uh, the Admiral Twin, the drive-in movie theater, which is obviously famous from the movie as well. And um, so it, all in this, like, it, in this, like, couple of days, you know, going to all these different locations, maybe about a week after I got there, um, they announced they were going to have the grand opening on August 9th. So it was like a month after I was there. I was like, oh, man, we missed it. I wish it would have been. A little bit earlier and it's funny because when we did the tour and i you know i have video of us the tour danny gave us like my wife kind of recorded the whole thing and on the video he's telling us he's like yeah we're talking to tommy howell trying to figure out a day that's going to work for us to do this grand opening and sure enough they decide they're going to do it in in august they were selling the you know like the tickets for the vip uh you know uh oh, ribbon ribbon cutting ceremony and i went on i had it in my in my shopping cart like on the way i'm like oh, i can't i can't spend the money and my wife's like, just, you know, just do it. It's like a, you know, it's like a once in a lifetime thing, like just do it, you know? And for me, I, I said to people afterwards, like being there for the grand opening would, to me would be like, you know, like being at a world series game for the Mets or something, you know, for me, it was like this, this big moment. And it's only going to happen once, you know? Um, I mean, so, Gary, what did, Gary, what did you name your, what is your son's name? Uh, my son's name is Dallas. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I had, um, like his name was picked out long before I met my wife, you know, yeah. like I, um, I was going to say, when you name your child for a character in the novel, yeah. and this is, this is a big deal. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I always, so I, you know, I flew, I, I flew out there the day before. I remember the day, the day of the ceremony was, it was very rainy. I, I wasn't aware that Essie Hinton was going to be there. When I, when I was in the process of writing, writing the grant and, and planning it out, I just went on like sehinton.com. You know, I had sent her the message saying, this is what I'm doing. And it'd be great if I'd come out there, if I can, you know, to meet you and just like talk to you about your whole experience in writing this book as a teenager. And she sent me back like a very nice, like rejection letter, I guess, you know, she said, you know, I, you know, I love the idea and teachers are my heroes. And like, she said, you know, you're going to, you're going to love Danny boy. She's like, but I can't, you know, I can't, I can't promise anything. She was, if I met every person that wanted to meet me, like, and I, I totally understood that, you know, so. So um, when I went back, you know, the following month in August for the for the ceremony, but I remember just kind of being in the yard and I was and somebody had mentioned, oh, Essie Hinton is here. So, um, you know, the Tulsa mayor was there and Danny and, and some like local dignitaries, whoever, Essie Hinton. And everybody gave a little speech and they did the whole ceremonial ribbon cutting. And then they opened the door and let people in. So when they opened the door, I was kind of one of the first people because I was standing right in front to go up the stairs. And I remember when I walked in, you know, you walk and I had been in there before, but you walk in through the living room uh, and the living room is set up very much the way it looks in, in the film with the couch and the, the fireplace and the chair. Everything's in the same place. 
But then the dining room area, which isn't really seen in the film much, is sort of more like display. Like, you know, it's kind of an open room with display cases and things on the side. So I kind of walked into that room. And as I walked in that room, S.C. Hinton and C. Thomas Howell were right in the center of the room. And, he, and I'm taking pictures myself. And then he walks away. And she's standing in the middle of the room kind of by herself. And I was like, okay, this is the only chance I'm going to have to say anything. So I, um, you know, I, I just kind of went over and I told her, I said, you know, I'm a teacher, you know, from New York. I had reached out to you. And, and, and she, she seemed to like to know, like when I said, like kind of at least or pretended to know like, that she remembered uh, our, our previous correspondence. So I, you know, I just said, you know, your, your work has just meant so much to me as a teacher. You know, it's just been like such a big part of my career as a teacher. And, you know, she was just, she very like, very quiet, you know, she wasn't, but very sweet, you know, and I, I just took a quick picture with her and, and that was about it. And then um, funny enough, the next day I went, like I said, I don't really go on Twitter, but I said, I'm going to go on Twitter to see if she tweeted anything. So she tweeted something. She goes, oh, I had a great time at the, at the museum opening. She goes, I, I, I didn't sign any autographs, but I took a lot of pictures and I was so happy that to see so many teachers there. So I had commented to her like, I posted a comment with the picture of the two of us. And, and then she had retweeted that picture of, of the two of us and said, Oh, it was so nice to meet you. I'm sorry. I couldn't meet you the first time. So for me, that was like, you know, it was, it was like such a, such a great, a uh, great moment um, to have met her, you know, like this, this person who wrote this story that really has been like such a huge part of, of what I do, you know, such a huge part of, of being a teacher. And it's, it's been like this, you know, this, this book that I feel like, so many kids who maybe before that, like, and maybe even after that, like we're not kids who wanted to read, but would read this book cover to cover. Like I've had kids, multiple kids tell me, this is the only book I've ever read cover to cover. You know, when you, I, I always enjoy when you start the book and you're three pages in and, you know, somebody's getting jumped and there's knives and there's, and the kids are just like, like, it's so different from anything you have in school before. You don't, you know, you don't really, I, I can't really think of something they would have read before that in school outside of, you know, like, reading like actual things about, you know, war and stuff, but reading a novel where the characters are teenagers and, you know, they smoke cigarettes and they hang out and they, they, they don't always behave right. You know, it almost seems it's like this taboo thing that you're doing. So I think it gets them right away, you know, so to, to meet her and just sort of have, even just to have that picture, it's like, just to kind of have that moment, like, you know, memorialized was, was really cool. Gary chronicled his fellowship experiences on a Facebook group page titled The Stay Gold Project, referring to the dying words Johnny Cade, played by Ralph Macchio, says to Pony Boy, played by C. Thomas Howell, and referencing a Robert Frost poem that Pony Boy recites to Johnny earlier in the story. While it is true that nothing gold can stay, resources from Gary's fellowship remain available on the Facebook page he created which also provides his contact information. We are learning from Gary Malone, eighth grade English teacher at Junior High School 189 in Flushing, New York. Gary designed his fellowship to research the locations associated with S.E. Hinton's classic novel, The Outsiders, to inspire his students, largely immigrants, to creatively write about their own experiences. So fast forward to your students now. Your intention was to, as you mentioned, to have them be inspired by S.E. Hinton as a teenage author and by what 
it's become really part of the middle school canon of literature to write their own stories. So then what did that look like back in your classroom in Flushing? Yeah. um, So, you know, it was after we read the novel, then we sort of moved into, you know, the, the stay gold project, you know, which is what it was titled. Stay gold is, you know, the last words that Johnny speaks to pony boy. You know, when we finished reading the novel, I sort of introduced the writing project to them. And that's when I showed them, you know, all the things that I experienced there, like my photographs and, and, you know, newspaper articles. And, you know, when I was at the ribbon cutting ceremony, like, like I was interviewed on the news, on the Tulsa news. So I was on TV there. And so I was showing them all this stuff and I had to show them after because I didn't want them, you know, they didn't know the story. They didn't know the significance of it. So it was like, after we read the book and saw the movie, then I shared all that with them. And I explained to them what, what, what the project really was. And, you know, I mean, the big idea, hopefully, like long term would be for the Stay Goal Project to be something that kind of branches out all over. So like if I have my kids who are here in Queens writing their stories that represent where they're from, and then maybe sharing those with kids, you know, from Tulsa or kids from Chicago or kids from Texas or wherever, they were in the process of writing their stories. And that's when the pandemic happened. And suddenly schools were closed. Between the pandemic coming and sort of, delay, you know, kind of delaying a lot of things back and then, you know, trying to make sure we covered other curriculum that we required to cover, it took a backseat where I didn't really want it to. But, sure. but again, it wasn't something I was planning on being a one year thing. Like this is something I plan on doing every year, you know, and hopefully as, as the years go on, it becomes bigger. One of the big reasons I wanted to do it, a lot of the writing that we do in school, so much of it is based on, you know, we have to prepare for the state test. So they're going to ask you to write an essay where you compare this text and that text. And, and, you know, there's value in that, but there's not enough, I feel like not enough time, at least in my experience, not enough time for them to sort of write creatively and to write about things that are more important to them. So I felt like this is both, right? You're creating something that's fictional, but it's, it's rooted in your reality, you know? So, you know, there was some interesting, like in the beginning, we, I was worried that they were going to try to cre- recreate the outsiders and just make like, oh, here's this group of kids and here's this other group of kids and basically kind of do that. But I, what I did want them to do is I wanted them to sort of model, use it as a model in the sense of create a first person narrator. And they did the same thing. There were some girls who chose narrators that were boys. You know, I don't know if I had any boys who chose female narrators, but similar to Essie Hinton, right? Her narrator uh, is Pony Boy, even though obviously... Um, you know, she, her being a female, she wrote from a, from a boy's, uh, a boy's point of view, but like some of the things that like, even just in the beginning, having them come up with like a basic synopsis of what they wanted their story to be. Like, I remember one kid had written about, um, a kid who was getting bullied in school, uh, because he didn't speak English that well, but he didn't want to report it because his family was not here legally, you know? And that's like mm-hmm. something that wouldn't have maybe been like a reality for S.E. Hinton and people, you know, who in her demographic in Tulsa in the 1960s. But for I am, you know, now, like that's very relatable, you know? So that, that was really what I guess I was most happy about. Even kids who didn't complete their stories, like some of the ideas that they came up with were so based in, in their own experiences, you know? And again, my, I, I teach in Flushing and it's a very large immigrant population. The majority being Chinese, being our biggest uh, population, but also like uh, a lot of uh, like Central and South American countries, a big um, El Salvadorian population. So these kids are, are coming from different places and coming from different experiences. But again, part of the whole thing would be even in reading The Outsiders, right? It's these, these teenage kids in Tulsa in the 1960s, but the kids still connect to it, right? So it's almost like 
like looking at the differences, but then also seeing the sameness in it, right? Which is what part of the- What do you think that universal theme is, Gary? Because you're talking about students who are from uh, Latin America and from Asia and or have their heritage there. And then right. kids in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But And yet I have chills talking about it. it, it it's like this universal theme. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the authenticity in it is really that it was written by a teenager uh, you know, like I could try to write a story right now from the point of view of a 15 year old kid, but, it, and I, you know, I was a 15 year old kid once upon a time, but if I wrote it as a 15 year old kid, it would probably be more honest and more, um, you know, like more authentic. Like, again, the, the, like the things that, that Essie Hinton talks about, like them going to rodeos and drive-ins or the way that they talk is different than obviously than the way that my kids talk or the, or the things that they do. But I, I still think it's like the idea that it's it's the voice of a teenager mm -hmm. telling that story and the whole idea of being that age, you know, like, again, when you read a book a thousand times, you kind of overanalyze anything. But when when Pony Boy, when the book starts, right, and he says, like, you know, I was wishing I looked like Paul Newman. It's like right away, as soon as we meet him, we're getting that little bit of insecurity. Right. He's like this 14 year old boy. And he's thinking about his appearance. Like I, he's like, well, I don't look so bad, but my looks aren't so bad, but I wish I looked more this way or I wish my eyes look like this. So I think it's very relatable and to boys and girls, boys might not be as vocal about it, but I think at that age, there's always a, that little bit of insecurity, you know, with, and also the idea of like being an individual, but still fitting in with the group. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, that crosses cultures and crosses generations. And I think that's why the book is so, um, so popular and doesn't seem to fade away. You know, it's still, like you said, it's like middle school canon and it's, it's still there after, after all these years. And it hasn't really, you know, hasn't really, um, hasn't really gone away. And I, I don't think, I don't think it will, at least I hope it won't, at least not in, um, in any time soon. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from almost 9,000 Fun for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you, FFT fellow Gary Malone, for sharing about his fascinating fellowship associated with S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders. You can find out more about his research and student impact on the Facebook group he created called the Stay Gold Project. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.